Okay, guys. Now, here we are, next session. We just got done talking about Cain and Abel. We got uh, a lot of good information uh, given, I pray, to, to help people to see things in a scriptural and a New Testament light. And hopefully this can help people that are in denominations that have been taught different doctrinal ideologies. It can help Jewish people who are trying to understand the Christian mind. And I, I hope this will help my atheist friends who are trying to make sense out of what seems to be crazy old stories and legends, Bronze Age writings of Semitic people. Hopefully you can see beyond that skeptical perspective into the beauty of Hebrew poetry, the, the breathtaking panorama of, of shadow and type and, and ancient metaphor that they, they say a picture paints a thousand words. Well, we're going to see indeed that it does. And hopefully this session today is going to help you with that because we're talking about Noah and the ark. Noah and the ark, the big boat, the rain, all, you know, the animals coming in, all of that good stuff. So we want you to put it in your iPod, blast it through your Bluetooth, put it through your house speakers in your home, and let's, let's get down into the Word of God. Let's talk about Noah and the ark because um, after Cain and Abel, God raises up a third son. His name is Seth, and he takes the place of Abel. Cain wanders, uh, mankind grows, they procreate, they have children, and they grow wicked. That's what sin does. It's a degenerative life dynamic. It is a fallen nature, and so when we are born of Adam, we are children of Satan. And the Genesis 3.15 promise is that there will be a seed, a child who is born that changes all of that. That, that there will be one who comes, who conquers sin and sets the hearts of men and women free. And so that lineage comes through Seth. It comes through Enoch on down to a man named Noah. Noah is warned of God that he's going to destroy the earth with a flood. And the hearts of men are evil continually. Every imagination is wicked. And so that's the story of Noah and the ark. He builds a boat. Um, he brings all the animals uh, of each kind onto that boat, two of every clean seven of every unclean. Um, the door closes, the rain comes, 40 days, 40 nights. It took him over a century to build that boat. He built it to heaven's specifications, the way God told him to build it. It survived the flood. It flooded for 40 days, 40 nights. The water doesn't recede for a year. It finally settles in the mountains of Ararat, and mankind is saved by Noah, his wife, Ham, Shem, Japheth, and their wives, and the animals that survived, they now replenish and repopulate and fill the earth. 
That's the story of Noah and the ark. It's a Bible story. We teach our children this story. We sing little songs about it. God told Noah, you're going to build an arky, arky. Build it out of gopher, barky, barky. <laughs> children of the Lord. So uh, we, we, we do teach this. It is a biblical theme. And, and the, the unfortunate part is that people will just leave it there. They'll move on. It's a nice little Bible story. The truth is there's a lot of theology wrapped up in this and some surprising truths come to us. And one of those truths is that you must be baptized in order to be saved. I know, I know that's controversial uh, to a lot of people. There's a lot of ideologies out there, a lot of doctrines that teach that you don't. Due to Protestant theology, Martin Luther's um, salvation by faith alone, we have a lot of people today that say baptism is not for everybody. It's not necessary. It's a nice thing to get to if you get around to it. But that you're saved before baptism, that is not true. Um, the scripture does teach that a man, a woman, does need to be baptized to be saved. And Noah and the ark teaches this very emphatically. And so this is what I mean by the shadow and type. You can go to the scriptures and you can find scriptures that support how you feel about things. And, and there is such a thing as knowing just enough scripture to be dangerous. So you find somebody who gets a couple scriptures, um, Maybe they went to jail and they were stuck in there with a Bible for about six months and that's all they had to do. So now when they come out, they're, they're an apostle. <laughs> they've read the Bible, they've given their life to Jesus, at least for the first couple weeks, and, and they've got some theology. So, and there's a lot of things that people put into them, a lot of ideologies, and it's important to know what the Bible actually says about this. So I'm going to tell you at the outset that I'm, I'm working from John chapter three. Let's go to John chapter three where, where Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. And, and, and we'll deal with John three at a later time in a very specific session to break down the elements of John three. Cause again, that's a highly contested controversial scripture uh, to some people. But a straightforward, render, a straightforward rendering will, 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 will reveal that there, is, there are scriptural thematic elements that are very important and are very clear. So John 3, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Nicodemus is thinking physically. How is it possible for a grown man to go into his mother's womb? That is crazy talk. That doesn't make sense. What do you mean? And Jesus, of course, is speaking spiritually. He's not talking about physically entering into his mother's womb. He's talking about a spiritual process that we read about in Genesis 3.15. That the seed of the woman, the children of the covenant people, will have war or enmity with the children of Satan. 
that's a, a, a metaphoric way of saying that the, the children of Adam and the children of Jesus are going to be at odds. The, the old creation will be at odds against the new creation. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus how that birth works. So you're going to be born again. Verse 5, it takes it a little further. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So let me tell you about apostolic theology. We feel strongly that that means that it, you, we are to be born in baptism in water and by receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now there's going to be a bunch of people that howl about that and, and say that that's not true. We'll deal again with that topic at a later date, but just in a nutshell, Acts 2, 8, 10, and 19, they were all born of the water and of the Spirit. Coming out of Egypt, they went through the Red Sea and into the cloud. That was the water and the Spirit. Um, this does not mean that you are physically born and then spiritually born. Time doesn't permit me to go into everything concerning that right now, but I'm just giving you a brief synopsis. It does mean that we are to be baptized and we are to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And you'll find the completion of that in Acts 2.38 where Peter commanded them to repent and to be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Not a few, not a couple, not when you get around to it, but every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That water spirit paradigm is a big deal. Okay, that's, that's just me prefacing some things to lay the foundation that baptism is necessary for salvation. And for those that want to know more about that, we'll have some videos for you on why there are things we do that are part of salvation. It's not just mental ascent or inward faith. That's not enough. And, and Noah and the ark teach this in a radical fashion. Because you can get scriptures that say that you're saved by faith. You can get scriptures, uh, Romans chapter 4, that say we're not saved by works of the law. Works cannot save us. But then somebody will go to James chapter 2 where it says that we are justified by works. So Romans 4 says we're not. James 2 says we are. And Martin Luther was so incensed about the book of James because it dared to say that, that works, our works, our actions actually played a role in salvation. Martin Luther coming out of Catholicism, which was all works and no faith, the knee-jerk reaction was to go to the other side of the spectrum. No works and all faith was his doctrine that he had come up with and that Lutheran ideology is still with us today that there's nothing you have to do except just believe in your heart and that is not a scriptural theme there are things we do and baptism is one of those things um, you'll find scriptures that say that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved he that believeth not shall be damned that's Mark 16 um, and then there's scriptures uh, I think it's Acts I want to say Acts 15, Acts 16, where, where the Philippian jailer 
asks, what do I need to do to be saved? And the answer is believe with all of your house and you shall be saved. And people will pounce on that. Ah, see right there, look, look, they believed and, they, and they'll be saved. And, and they, they wanna say that then we don't need to be baptized. Um, and, and then there's my favorite, the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross wasn't baptized. What about the thief on the cross? And there is an answer about the thief on the cross and too many people have not taken the time to dig into the thief on the cross. I'm not gonna do it right now, I don't have time. This session is not about the thief on the cross, it's about Noah. And what I hope to give to you today is how a shadow and type can give you the picture of how these verses fit. I can remember when I was younger, my boys got a present. It was a present given to them by family and they, they opened up wrapping paper and, and they pulled out this, this toy. It was a big toy, um, some kind of a big deal, like a city that you put together. It was kind of involved. And so as dad, I, I get out my little toolbox and I start assembling. I don't need instructions. I'll just, I can tell what it is. I'm dad. I know everything. <laughs> And 30 minutes later, I realized I didn't know anything. And it looked nothing like it looked on the package. And with humility and a touch of anger and frustration, I had to undo what I had done and go back and read the instruction book. And that's unfortunately what a lot of people have to do with their theology. They rush to put it together because they think they know how it fits and then it doesn't work. It's not looking like what it's supposed to look like. So they got to go back to the instruction book and they got to try to put it together the way the manufacturer intended it to be put together. And so a good product has not only verbal instructions, written instructions, but it will also give you a diagram. It'll give you a picture. And that's what shadows and types are. We have the written word of God and then we have these vivid metaphors that show you how it fits. So we're not just reading it and randomly assembling it in our minds, but we are assembling it according to the patterns that the Bible gave us. Hebrews were forbidden to make graven images. They, they did not have a, a big, an art society with images that, that was later, that was Greco-Roman. It was very antithetical and anti-Hebrew ideology. They didn't have graven images. They didn't have works of art uh, like, like European civilization did. That was idolatry. And whenever they did, they would fall into that idolatry. But the Hebrews were vivid in their words. They were brilliant people. They, their images were in their mind. And so their words reflect that and their, their poetry and their prose reflects that. And so they used shadows and types, these vivid Hebrew metaphors. And Noah and the ark is one of the biggest ones. And Noah and the ark will tell you how baptism saves us. And now some scriptures begin to make more sense. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter three. 1 Peter chapter three, and let's go to verse 18. 1 Peter three, and we'll read verse, verses 18 to 21. Here's what it says. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, 
that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So it's talking about Jesus. And Peter is teaching this. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. So he's going to preach to imprisoned spirits. Those are people that were trapped in trespasses and sins. And, and when Jesus said that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, he would bind up the brokenhearted, he would proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that were bound. This is the Spirit of Christ that sets the captives free. Like Moses freed Israel in Egypt, Jesus frees mankind in the world. Verse 20, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing. It's old King James English for you. Wherein few, that is eight souls, were, and here's a phrase I want to resonate with you, were saved by water. Saved by water water. You need to let that marinate and let that really get a grip on you because that's a big deal. The like figure, see there it is, there's the word, figure, type, pattern, shadow, metaphor. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. It's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. It's not taking a bath, it's not taking a shower, it's not washing the body not putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this is a big thing. This tells us, first of all, that Peter's chugging along, talking about Jesus and how he preaches to the spirits in prison, in prison spirits, um, people bound in sin, people bound by death, and all of a sudden, he starts talking about Noah. What does a boat, animals, a flood have to do with Jesus and spirits in prison? And you're going to find out that quite a bit, actually. In that Old Testament, everything points to Jesus. And the first thing it says that eight souls were saved by water. What a statement. So somebody, I had, a, I had a young lady one day said, are you telling me that we're saved by water? And I took her to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I said, can you read that? And she read through it and she got down to that, point, that part where it says, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. So souls were saved by water. And I said, could you read that again? And she said, eight souls were saved by water. And I said, one more time, just one more time, read that again. She said, I got it, I got it. Eight souls were saved by water. They were saved by water, big deal. Well, it actually is a very big deal because it goes on to say that this is a figure, this is a pattern, this is a metaphor by which baptism does also now save us. So yes, baptism saves us. We are to be born of the water 
and of the Spirit. Now, and this is getting a little bit ahead, but let me tell you that that flood is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. That's what it is. It's the gospel. And here's how it works. Everything dies. The righteous have to go through the water. And, and going through that water is not an option, folks. It's not something that a few did and a few didn't have to do. It's not an outward confession of an already existing reality. It's not a meanless, meaningless formality. It's not just a, tradi a tradition, but the real thing happened by faith. No, no, no. No, every person had to go through the water to be saved. You couldn't be saved unless you went through the water. If you didn't go through the water, you died. And so the righteous go through the water. They're saved by water. And when they come out of that water, that's the resurrection. They are coming out from the water into a new life. And they, they are rising from, from that water into new life. And so that's what the Bible says, that not the putting away the filth of the flesh, the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus, he died, he was buried, the sin is buried, the old man is buried, and he rises to walk in a new life. So the world is destroyed, it's buried. Every sin is buried under the water. Every bad thing you ever did, every wicked thought, every bad whatever is, is buried under the water. You go through that water and when you come out, you are resurrected into a new life. And when they got off of that boat, they had a brand new life. Everything, it was, it was day one of the rest of their life. New life, that's resurrection. And so they had a chance to do it all over again. That's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And so here's an Old Testament metaphor, a shadow and type. And what it does is it reinforces the idea that, that baptism is very necessary. It is God's plan of salvation, just like Noah had a plan from heaven that gave him salvation, him and his family, and souls were saved by water. Just like that, that's how baptism does also now save us. So Peter uses the story of Noah and the ark to teach that baptism is a necessity, that baptism buries sin. That's why the Bible says we're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So the remission of sins in Acts 2.38 is the same as the burial of the sin in the story of Noah. Noah washed away all the sins under the water and Jesus washes away all the sins under the water. So that will wash away our sins and we will come out of that water with a brand new life, a brand new beginning. Everything we did washed away, everything we ever said washed away and a new hope and that is salvation. And that is the story of Noah and the ark. That is the end of this lesson today. And the shadow and type is vivid. This is what salvation looks like. So it's not just text. It's not just pet verses. It's not just stuff that people have cobbled together through commentaries and centuries of denominal ideology. 
but it is an ancient Hebrew metaphor that if you don't go through the water, you cannot be saved. The shadow and type of Noah vividly shouts this, and I hope that it resonates in our spirit today. Thank you. I look forward to seeing you next time.